that, but when that comes up, we'll be continuing our series. We're going to go continue our series. We'll get it up here, a PowerPoint, but in, in Paul's two letters to Timothy, and we've entitled this, uh, um, this series and these two letters, Be Strong in Grace, which we'll actually see at the beginning of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy here soon. Uh, but th- this, this part here this morning is part 43 in that series, and we'll be examining 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And the message this morning is entitled, Encouraged by Thankfulness. Encouraged by Thankfulness. So if you have a copy of God's Word, encourage you to get that out, whether it's a, a hard copy or if it's a, 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 a copy on your phone or a tablet, encourage you and open that up. We'll be looking at 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5 here in just a few minutes. But before we examine those verses, I want to do just a little review from last week so we get in context of where we would be this morning. So last week, we did an overview of 2 Timothy. And followed by we unpacking the first two verses in Second Timothy, uh, and I began by stating Second Timothy is about the help me if you were here. Second Timothy is all about the great. Everybody remember from last week. This is super. Yeah, all right, has that ever happened to you, Big Al? People just completely forget. You know, that's all right. Anyways, okay. Uh, the Second Timothy is all about the. It starts with the G O S P E L. It's about the gospel. Yeah, it's all about the gospel. There we go. Um, and, uh, and we know this um, uh, for many reasons. Uh, Paul was in Roman prison, and he produced this letter sent to, to Timothy, and he's about to die. And we, we know that he's about to die from the end of 2 Timothy. And um, I'll just read it to you. 2 Timothy 4, 6 says, From already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He's writing Timothy, says, it's time for me to go. The Lord's going to take me. And, and, and history shows that he stayed in that prison and he did die. He was uh, murdered for his faith. Uh, Paul understood that the gospel was being undermined, confused, and outright denied in some places. And since he was close to the end, he was urgent to encourage Timothy to preserve the gospel preserve the gospel. When he was urgent because he understood without the gospel, there is no hope. There's no hope without the gospel. Uh, and, we, and we learned that. We looked at even at Romans 1.16, which says this, uh, that, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul understood the gospel was everything. It was the power of God. Without the gospel, we won't be saved. We won't, there's no hope. We won't be made right with God. We won't be able to sing like Big Al just sang about how God rescued him without the gospel, and Paul understood that. And, and seeing that 2 Timothy is, is about the gospel, we then took a 20,000-foot uh, view. Remember, we were kind of flying over 2 Timothy, and just look at the big picture of 2 Timothy. And that gave us an outline uh, just to to think about that. But first of all, in chapter 1, it's about guarding the gospel, to guard the gospel. Then in chapter 2, suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, continue in the gospel. And then chapter 4, to preach the gospel. And and after taking that that, that 20,000-foot view of 2 Timothy, then we got down at street level, and we looked at the first two verses in 2 Timothy. We were reminded... Uh, of why it's important not to just casually read through the openings of letters, the greetings of these letters in the New Testament. We, some of you were honest last week, and, and I asked the question, how many times do we come to a letter by Paul and we just kind of run through the first couple verses of greeting, right? Yeah, I, I, I've done that before. 
And we learned last week is important not to do that. When we do this, we're missing out because every word of God's word is, listen, breathed out by God. They're all there for purpose and on purpose. They're profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness that we'll learn later in 2 Timothy. Every word of God's word is breathed out by God. I, I just throw this out here. I, I, I've said this before, and there's nothing wrong with this. Please don't hear me if you have one of these Bibles that has the red letter edition. Okay? Sometimes it doesn't do us well to have a red letter edition. Here's why. Because those aren't the only words that Jesus spoke. He spoke every word from Genesis to Revelation. It all came from the mouth of God, the breath of God. And some, well, Jesus didn't say that. Well, no, just Jesus did say that. That was Paul. No, Jesus said that. Jesus said that. We've got to embrace that. Every word is important. And as we examined 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, we, we discovered three main truths contained in Paul's gospel greeting. It was a gospel greeting. It's full of the gospel, so that we would be encouraged to keep holding fast to the gospel and share that good news with others. And we saw the authority behind the gospel, the contents of the gospel, and the blessings of the gospel. And we discovered the authority behind the gospel was ultimately God. He, 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 he sent, Paul was sent out as an apostle by Jesus, his representative, and therefore he bears the authority given to him by Jesus. And Paul's authority... Uh, Gave Timothy, as he wrote this letter to Timothy, authority in the midst of those who might question Timothy's ministry. Timothy, as well as all of us, need to be reminded of this truth, that the authority behind the gospel is God himself. So when we take the gospel to people, and whether they accept it or reject it, it's still God. He's the authority in the gospel, not us. We're just the messenger, but there's authority in the gospel because God is the one who has sent us with it. And we then saw the contents of the gospel in the phrase, um, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. God promised that all who trust in Christ Jesus and his payment for their sin, they have life, eternal life. And those, who have, those of us who have been given that life have the privilege to take that message, the promise of life in Christ Jesus to others. And then we discover the blessings of the gospel in verse 2. The blessings of the gospel mentioned in verse 2 are grace, mercy, and peace. Those are blessings that come from the gospel. We also discovered that grace, mercy, and peace flow from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that's where they flow from. And those who are in Christ will never be lacking, never be lacking in grace, mercy, and peace. Why? Because they flow from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll never be lacking in those blessings. Well, with that in review, uh, to help us get the right contest, let's now turn our attention to our passage of Scripture for this morning. Now, now this, uh, this actually, I don't know why I was thinking about this this morning, but I thought, what would happen if this didn't work? I was thinking about that this morning. If the power of, some of you guys are a little uncomfortable because we, we get, we, we get, we, we get you know, comfortable with the PowerPoint, and we look at the PowerPoint, and we, and, and those kind of things, and 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 we forget to bring a copy of God's Word. And this is exactly why I encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word with you. You should have, you should be a Berean, checking everything that me or Jay say or anybody else up here. Make sure it checks out with God's Word. So, I'm going to ask you to stand. We have different translations, so you may not read with me. I'm going to stand. We usually stand and we read words God's Word together. I'm going to read, and I'm just going to ask you to think along with me. Okay, as as I read our passage of Scripture for this morning, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. 
I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we read your word, just your raw word, we're hearing from you. These are your words. We're thankful for that. We pray now, Lord, that you would open our heart. Lord, you, you, would, you would get rid of the distraction. I know that the, the whole PowerPoint thing may be a distraction for some of us this morning. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd take that distraction away and we would just focus on your word this morning, what your word has to say to us and for us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and take your seats. And before we look closer at verses 3 through 5, I want you to consider something very important when it comes to 2 Timothy. Some of the many ways that Paul encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he encourages him all over the place in 2 Timothy, might lead some to believe that Timothy was consistently weak and a mama's boy. It might lead. If you, you look through here, I mean, it's just every turn, Paul is encouraging Timothy. It's like, come on, Timothy, you can do it. Yeah, you're just coming around him all the time, just encouraging and, and, and you may think, well, he's just a weakling. He's just always timid, young fella, and he's all this encouragement. He just, he's just kind of hiding behind the bush over there and doesn't want to do anything. Well, the problem with that view is it doesn't take into account all that we know about Timothy and the ministry for which the Lord had used him. When we look at all that we know about Timothy, we find out that Timothy was not a weak mama's boy. I'm telling you right now, Timothy was not a weak mama's boy. So let me prove that. The fact that Timothy was well spoken of, it says by, by the believers in Lystra, which was his hometown, all right, his hometown, and that Paul chose him to go with him, raises serious doubts about the view that he was a weak, timid mama's boy. All right, are we back up here? Maybe I can get... Not quite. That's okay. All right. All uh, right. You guys let me know. No, no problem. So, but he wasn't. Timothy accompanied Paul and Silas through Macedonia. And when Paul met opposition um, in, in Berea from the Jews in Thessalonica that had followed him to Berea, Paul left Timothy and Silas in Berea to teach the new converts. And, and this indicates that Paul trusted Timothy as a teacher of God's word. Weak mama's boy? I don't think so. Paul also sent Timothy to instruct the church at Thessalonica, the place Paul had been run out of earlier. They were trying to kill Paul, and Paul sends Timothy into Thessalonica. And while, while spending three years um, in, in Ephesus, Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to a very difficult situation in Corinth. If you don't think it was difficult in Corinth, go read 1 Corinthians and find out how, just how difficult things were at the church of Corinth, and he sends Timothy there. And, of course, Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to set the church in order to teach the truth. We saw this in 1 Timothy, and to call out false teachers. So why would Paul send Timothy on all these difficult assignments if Timothy was consistently weak and timid? He wouldn't. That's the answer. He wouldn't because Timothy was not consistently weak and timid. Timothy was a strong and faithful servant of the Lord. Now listen, but he, like everyone else, also experienced times of weakness and doubt and pain and discouragement, just like Big Al was sharing with us. 
Timothy experienced those things. And who wouldn't experience those things? Discouragement and doubt when you had to face some of the things and some of the people that Timothy had to face on an ongoing basis. Can anybody relate to that this morning? You ever felt discouraged and doubtful and in pain and weary? Well, Paul was in prison when he writes this letter, and he too, Paul, the Apostle Paul, right, he experienced discouragement and doubt and weakness and pain. And his attitude to Timothy isn't, come on, you wimp, suck it up. That's not his attitude here, not at all. Instead, it's one of lifting Timothy's head, lifting Timothy's head. I, I like to do sometimes with our, I've done it with our kids, I've done it with the kids I coach, and, and they're discouraged and their head's down. And, and because some, and, and I say, hey, give me your eyes. I'm going to lift their head. I want to encourage them. And, and that's what Paul is doing here in this letter to Timothy. He, he's lifting his head, he's, he's, he's not calling him a wimp. He was encouraging Timothy. Do you know what encourage means? It means to put courage in. To encourage means to put courage in. And Paul was putting courage in Timothy in this letter. He was coming alongside Timothy, putting his arm around him, and helping him get to the end. When I began studying this, this passage a few weeks ago, uh, the first thing from God's word that came to my mind was something that happened between Jonathan and David in 1 Samuel. David was, listen, the second king of Israel. Listen and the first one chosen by God. He was the second king of Israel and the first one chosen by God. The first king, God let the people choose. And they looked around at all the other nations, the pagan nations who didn't love God and said, oh man, look at that king, he's pretty big. Look at that king, he looks good. So we'll pick a king just like that, tall, dark, and handsome. And they chose Saul. And the problem was, is that Paul was just like all the other kings. Not only was he tall, dark, and handsome, it says he was a head taller than everybody else. He was tall, dark, and handsome, but he also had a heart that didn't love God. He had a heart problem, and they got just what they wanted. They got just what they deserved in some ways. And God had finally had enough with Saul's prideful heart, and he chose David to be king, one who had a heart for the things of God. And if you know that passage, it says that we look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and he chose David. But God didn't immediately place David on the throne. That would come later. God makes it clear to everyone that David would be the next king, and he also made it clear to Saul that David would be the next king. What do you think Saul thought about that? Oh, that's great. He'll be the next king. Not at all. He hated David. He despised David. He pursued him to kill him on multiple, time, multiple times. And behind the scenes, Jonathan, if you know the story, if not, I'm going to bring it up. Jonathan, who was Saul's son, the rightful heir to the throne, Jonathan and David became best friends. This is so important. I mean, they had an unbelievable relationship. Uh, and he knew that David would be the next king. One particular time, after David had won a great battle, Saul became jealous once again and gathered his army to go capture David. Notice what happened as David was hiding out in the wilderness. I think we might have it. Just, can we go to the next slide? No? That's okay. All right, well, hey, just listen. Listen to what happened. 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 17. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh 
and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. And you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Now notice that phrase there in the middle. He encouraged him, Jonathan encouraged him in God. I love that. Other translations say this, helped him find strength in God. Strengthened his hand. Oh, I love that. Jonathan came to his friend, listen, and he put courage in David. He encouraged him. He put courage in him. Courage to trust God and to not give up. Anyone here this morning that has needed or currently needs have so, to have someone put courage in them? Anybody? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I need people. I've needed people to come alongside of me and put courage in me. Big Al, you had some brothers that came along and they put courage in you. They put encouraging, they put courage. I need people a lot, often, to put courage in me. I can become discouraged. When you just keep working, you just keep sharing, and, and you all know that, I've said this many times, what I'm here to do is, is to, to invest in the only two things that last forever, right? God's word and people. I'm gonna invest God's word and people. That's all I wanna do. That's all I want to do, and I can do it all over the place, and everything that I do, I can do that. That's all I want to do, but sometimes it can be discouraging because of the way they respond or don't respond. I need people to put courage in me, and that's exactly what Paul is doing in our three verses this morning and in other places in 2 Timothy. So that big overarching um, truth before us, let's begin focusing now on 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. And as we examine 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, we're going to be challenged by four principles that lead to being encouraged by thankfulness. Can you all go to the next slide? There we go. Here we go. The focus of thankfulness, the consistency of thankfulness, the passion behind thankfulness, and the reason for thankfulness. Look with me at verse 3. If they don't have it up here, you can get a picture of your Bible. There we go. All right. I guess, I guess we're tracking, but you guys are in control, right? This is dead. Is that right? Let's try it. Oh, it's working again. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Some of you guys got really comfortable. and uh, Maybe it'll go out again. I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't need it. I do it for you all, and hopefully it can help us understand God's word. But look, look at verse 3. Specifically look at those words, I thank God. And here's where we see the first principle that leads to being encouraged by thankfulness. The focus of thankfulness. Paul makes God the focus of thankfulness. It was pretty loud, wasn't it? And I did it on purpose. Paul makes God the focus of thankfulness. Making God the focus of thankfulness is the normal pattern for Paul. I'll just give you some references. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Colossians 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and Philippians chapter 1 all do the same thing. Paul does the same thing. He makes God the focus of his thankfulness. By making God the focus of his thankfulness, Paul is stressing the fact that everyone and everything for which he can give thanks is from God. Making God the focus is, is lifting Timothy and, and, and our hearts and our minds toward heaven. However, it, it, it's God who enabled all those things, right, to lift our hearts and, 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 and to, to the highest level, which is to lift our hearts to him in thankfulness. And yes, there's things in the lives of people that would cause, give you cause to give thanks. 
you look at this person over here, oh man, they did this, or they did this, or they have this, or they've done that, and that's cause for giving thanks. And however, it was God who enabled those things to be true about those people. Therefore, it is God who deserves our focus and thankfulness. By making God the focus of his thankfulness, this would remind Timothy that all that he had was a gift from God and would serve as a source of encouragement to him. When, when Paul said, I thank God, and he's referring to Timothy, well, I thank God for Timothy. And as T- Timothy heard that, he, he would lift his eyes toward heaven. And maybe they were down, he was discouraged, and it would cause him to lift his eyes and his heart toward God. Well, notice the next phrase here in verse 1. Whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. Notice the word there, serve. All right, it's always used, this word is always used in reference to serving God. It's used in relation to the worship of God. It's also in the present tense, all right, whom I serve and continue to serve, and I'm always serving, right, emphasizing this was an ongoing reality for Paul, and this goes right with Big Al's song. He saw his life as an act of worship. Paul saw his life as an act of worship. It just so wasn't on Sunday, but it was what? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He saw his life as a service, as a worship service to God. Paul served God with an attitude of thankfulness for the grace that God had given him. Paul didn't serve God to earn his favor. Listen, this is so important. He didn't serve God so God would give him favor. Instead, he served God because he had been given favor by God. Notice the next phrase, the way my forefathers did. He points to the spiritual heritage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, among others, who also served God. They served God. See, he says, whom I serve the way my forefathers did. We'll come back to that next phrase in a second. In coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah and his Savior, Paul was stepping into the fulfillment of the faith that all his forefathers ultimately looked to, faith in Jesus. This is so important. He didn't see that he was serving a different God. Now he was actually serving the God, the right God, in the right way because he had placed his faith in Jesus. And you know how these, the Old Testament saints we talk about, how they serve God in the right way? They served it by faith in Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't even there, but he was promised. And they served God by faith that he would come through in his promise in sending Jesus to die, to be buried, and rise again and fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15. From the very beginning, right after sin, he promised he was going to do that. And they, they served God in the same way, from the same heart. They didn't serve God to gain his favor. I, I've said this many times, if you've risen with us, and, and you know what I said in, 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 in seats in church for a long time, and I'm sure the thing was said my dad was a pastor for years and years and years, and, he, and, and maybe one day he said it, and I, oh, yeah, I've never heard that before. Well, I just said it the last seven weeks. Listen, everyone in the history of the world has been made right with God by the exact same way. By God's grace, through faith, in Jesus. No other way to be made right by God, not by keeping the law, not by doing a bunch of good works. Everybody in the Old Testament was saved by faith in Jesus who was to come, and everybody after the cross was saved by faith in what Jesus did. There's no other way. It's always been that way. 
Check me out. Go to the Bible. It's, it's there. I, I want to say that so we just don't miss out. These guys were not trying to earn God's favor. They served because God had given them favor. He had given them his grace. All right? And, and God is Paul's focus in, in thankfulness and in all of life. By bringing these guys up, he, he's focusing us again on God. And notice in, in what state Paul says he serves, with a clear conscience. His conscience is clear because he had been unashamed of the gospel. He was so unashamed of the gospel that he finds himself in prison again because he had been preaching the gospel. He had a clear conscience. Now, now Paul wasn't perfect, but he was quick to confess his sin and to turn from it so that it wouldn't hinder his serving of God. And again, it's God who's the focus here. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine, I want you to imagine with me, what would happen if you and I consistently made God the focus of our thankfulness and our life? Let me just give you some to think about here. Just imagine this. Instead of saying, thank you for your selflessness, thank you for your hard work, thank you for your thoughtfulness, what if we said this instead? I thank God for your selflessness. I thank God, Nikki, for your hard work yesterday to put on cross train. I thank God for your thoughtfulness. What do we just do? We just look, lifted thanks, thanksgiving and thankfulness to a whole nother level. If I thank you for something, that's nice. But if I say, I thank God for you, that's something else. And we need to lift our thankfulness, and that's what Paul's doing. He, says, he starts off, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Just the way my forefathers did, this is the way they serve God too. They thank God. Can we thank God for what he's doing in us? And when we do this, it raises our hearts and minds to the absolute highest of focus. It focuses us on God. A God focus and thankfulness is what Timothy needed to encourage him. And it's what we all need as well. Well, look at, look at the last part of verse 3. Here with me. It says, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Here's a second principle that leads to being encouraged by thankfulness. The consistency of thankfulness. In other words, every time Paul prayed for Timothy, he gave thanks to God. As a former Pharisee, Paul would have had certain times of the day that he prayed. And he most likely carried this over into his walk with Christ. Paul prayed consistently, and he consistently gave thanks to God for Timothy when he prayed. The fact that Paul consistently prayed for Timothy and consistently thanked God for Timothy had to be a great source of encouragement for Timothy. And remember, that's what he's doing here. He's putting courage in Timothy, who's struggling. Consistency is the key. There's nothing wrong with having a schedule to pray. It's okay to have a plan to pray. We've been talking about having a plan to read our Bible. It's okay. And some may say, well, I just pray when I feel like it, when the Spirit moves or something comes to mind. And that's great. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I don't, things don't come to my mind. Sometimes I don't feel like the Spirit's moving and I've got to pray. Yes, I would say pray throughout the day as God brings things to your mind. But also get a prayer plan to focused in prayer. I've got a plan. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, that's, I mean, you're not really being led by the Spirit. If you, no, are you kidding me? Paul had a plan. We can have a plan. It didn't have to be spontaneous. Okay, what if I got up here completely unprepared? Some of you may think I'm unprepared anyway, all right? But what if I got completely, completely I'm going to let the Spirit move, brother. You all would walk out of here and not come back. 
The Spirit can prepare through, through, through preparation, right? And it's okay to have a plan to pray. It's, it's okay. Don't worship that plan, but it's okay to have a plan. I encourage you to have a plan. And, and, and in, in so doing, let's, let's thank God for, for people. And, and, and listen, and when, when we do that, when we thank God for people in our prayers, do this. Send them a text and say, I thank God for you. I was praying today, and I, I thank God for you. Send them a note. Give them, give, give them a phone call. Let them know that you gave thanks to God for them. You never know. You never know. And, and this was not planned. You never know, Big Al. You never know when you're in one of those discouraging times, do you? You never know when you're that person who calls and says, you know, I, I thank God for you, what that might do in someone's life. You never know. Well, you can put courage in them, and that'll help. Well, look with me at verse 4. Long to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Here's a third principle that leads to being encouraged by thankfulness, the passion behind thankfulness. Look specifically at that phrase, longing to see you. It's speaking of a strong desire to see Timothy. He, he's everything, with, I want to see Timothy. And this longing to see T- Timothy also is in the present tense. So he just, he, it was an ongoing thing with him. He couldn't wait to see Timothy. He really wanted to see Timothy. He longed to see him. And we'll see this passion long to see Timothy in chapter 4 where Paul says, make every effort to come to me. And then later in chapter 4 he says, make every effort to come to me before winter. I really want to see you. I long to see you. He was passionate about seeing Timothy. And remember, Paul's alone. Many people who said they had faith had deserted him. They were ashamed of the gospel and they were ashamed of Paul. And others had gone out from Paul and were doing ministry. So see, he was alone in a sense. He, Paul, he, Paul longs to see his beloved son in the faith who he knows is not ashamed like some of those people were. As Paul prays and gives thanks for Timothy, he does so with passion. Look now at this phrase, even as I recall your tears. We don't know for sure exactly. There's speculation of when this exactly was. We don't know when this was. Most likely it's referring to the last time they were together. And again, we don't know exactly when that was. We've got speculation. I don't want to go into all that. But there were tears involved because of their great love and respect for each other. There, there were tears. They, they, they also didn't know when they might see each other again. Did anybody here remember taking your kids to college or helping your kids move into their first apartment and their first job? You remember that? You, you remember that? I'm just bringing back to your mind. You remember, remember that? I'm not crying. <laughs> I'm not crying. <laughs> I did that with all four of them. We got two left in the house. I'll do it with them too, too. And, and in fact, every year we would take them back to college. I'm crying. <laughs> Come on, sweetie, let's go. <laughs> Why? Because I passionately love my kids. And although we had raised them to do exactly what they were doing, I was going to miss them. And I, I love being with my kids. I love my kids. This is what's happening here. Paul and Timothy loved each other. They were passionate about their relationship with each other. And there was tears involved. Timothy's tears expressed his love and respect for Paul and the depth of their friendship. Look now at the last phrase in verse 5. So that may be filled with joy. Paul knew he was getting ready to die in prison and seeing faithful Timothy would fill Paul with joy. If, I, if all the people deserve me, if I could just see Timothy now, I know he hadn't quit. I, I know he's still fighting. Filling with joy. 
And the fact that Paul longed to see Timothy again and that Paul expressed that he would be filled with joy when Timothy came most assuredly brought joy to Timothy. That Paul, the apostle Paul, wanted to see him. He passionately wanted to see and spend time with Timothy. That had to encourage Timothy. It it put courage in Timothy. May our passion for our other brothers and sisters in Christ fuel our thankfulness to God for them. Look with me at verse 5 now. Um, and, and it's here in this verse we see the fourth principle that leads to being encouraged by thankfulness, the reason for thankfulness. Now, up to this point, Paul has not really shared the, found, the foundational reason for why he gives thanks for, for Timothy. He says, I thank God, all right? He, he, that's what he, how he begins verse 3. And then Paul talks about God. He talks about his clear conscience. He talks about his forefathers. He talks about uh, um, uh, his love for Timothy. So what or who is Paul thankful for? Notice the, the first word there in uh, verse 5. Now, many translations don't have this. It's understood. I don't have time to go into this and because of the grammar, the, way, the wording, and the, 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 just the way the wording is. The word 4 is actually there. It connects back to verse 3 and the reason or cause for Paul's thankfulness to God for Timothy. So it, 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 it could actually read this. I thank God for, and now he's going to give us the reason. So what's the reason that Paul is so thankful for Timothy, or t- t- thankful to God for Timothy? Notice the rest of verse 5, where I'm mindful, or the beginning of verse 5, of the sincere faith within you. Paul is thankful to God for Timothy and Timothy's sincere faith. I thank God for your sincere faith, Timothy. The word sincere means without hypocrisy. It means authentic. It means genuine. Timothy's faith is without hypocrisy. It's, it's, it's genuine. It's real. You know what I mean by that? Somebody who's real. It's a real faith, unlike those who deserted Paul. Notice, too, where Timothy's faith resides. It says, within you, all right? It says, this faith resides within you. It's not mere intellectual assent to some facts, but it dwells in Timothy and is evidence of his new heart in Christ. This sincere faith, it's in you, within you. Uh, he, he did not merely profess faith, but he possessed faith, which is shown by his attitude and actions. Now look at the, the next part of verse 5. When first, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Timothy had a great spiritual heritage as well. Paul had one. He talked about his forefathers. And here, Paul's bringing up Timothy's spiritual heritage. And it's a little bit different than Paul's, but, but it's his spiritual heritage. Uh, the, the genuine faith Timothy possessed was first evident in his grandmother and mother. Notice what it says um, of Timothy's mother in six, Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now notice it says she was a believer. There's a debate, okay, was she a Christian believer or was she a Jewish believer who believed in the promises of God? Now if she was a Jewish believer, she wasn't a very good Jewish believer. What? She married a Gentile. And Timothy wasn't circumcised. Now, that might have had more with her husband, husband's decision or whatever, but a, a Jew would have not, first of all, married a Gentile, and they would have had their son circumcised. And um, it seems to me that the context, and this is not that anything die over, the, of Acts points to her being a believer in Jesus the Messiah, and if she wasn't, she was believing the Messiah has come, and when she was introduced to the Messiah to come, maybe it was through Timothy, maybe she actually heard Paul speak 
um, when Timothy heard him and came to Christ, we don't know it for sure, but she was a believer in the promised Messiah, I can tell you that. Her faith was in the Messiah. And also notice what Paul writes of these two women later on in 2 Timothy. We'll look at this more in depth. It says, you, however, speaking to Timothy, continuing these things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the secret writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I wonder where he learned the sacred writings that was able to lead him in faith, Christ Jesus. How about his grandmother and mother? Timothy's mother and grandmother demonstrated their sincere faith by investing God's word into Timothy, which God used to bring Timothy to salvation through sincere faith in Christ Jesus when he heard the gospel. Oh, yeah, that's what God's word says. I've been, I've been knowing that since I was a child. He must be talking about the Messiah. Paul's reference to Timothy's spiritual heritage would have, been, would have definitely put courage in Timothy. He's causing, look back, they had a genuine faith. Your, your grandmother, and, and look back in the way they invested in you and what it's done in your life. Don't forget, Timothy, you've got God's word in you. He was putting courage in him. Notice that last phrase there in verse 5, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. This word sure means convinced. He's deeply persuaded. I know it's there. I know that genuine faith and sincere faith is there. He's, he's just reiterating what he is thankful for to God for regarding Timothy by emphasizing that he's sure that this genuine faith resides in him just like his mother and grandmother. Paul's thankfulness to God for Timothy and his sincere faith most assuredly encouraged Timothy. You can't get around that. He was encouraging Timothy here. Remember, Paul was coming alongside, not to put him down, but to lift him up. Not to say, suck it up, Timothy. It wasn't hang in there. You'll be okay, wimp. No, it was hanging in there. Your work's not in vain. Your work's not in vain, Timothy. Anybody ever feel like your work in, in, in the gospel is in vain? You just feel discouraged. I'm telling you, I, I do. You're reaching out to friends and family, and they're just rejecting it. Oh, gosh, Lord. Hey, I'm telling you, it's not in vain. And I remember um, uh, this, this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, one verse after what Dan read. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that you, I love this word, toil, hard work is not in vain in the Lord. Hey, you're not crazy. That's what he's saying. You're not crazy. Hang in there, Timothy, into the church of Corinth. Hang in there. You're not crazy. Your work's not in vain in the Lord. God's going to use it. Just keep on. Keep on. Now, I told you earlier that what came to my mind when I considered the main emphasis of this passage was the account of, of Jonathan and David. And that was what came to my mind biblically. But another picture came to my mind when I, I thought about this, this encouragement by thankfulness. Derek Redmond is a former British track athlete. And in the summer of 1992, in track and field, the Olympics, um, in Barcelona, Spain, he was a favorite to win a medal in the 400 meters. 400 meters won it, run one lap around the track. And, and it's not a jog. I mean, these dudes are sprinting, if you ever watch it. 400 meters, one wrap around the track. And he was a favorite to win, win a medal. He won his preliminary round, had the fastest time in the quarterfinals, and now he's going to the semifinals. And all he's got to do is get to the finals and, and maybe fulfill his dream to get a medal at the Olympics in the 400 meters. All right? That, that was his dream, to win an Olympic medal. And watch what happens.
me every time. That's, an, that's a picture of what it means to be encouraged by thankfulness. I love it. And they're, they're trying to get him off of his son. Get, push him. And he tells the guy in the green jacket, this is my son. This is my son. I, always, I, I love my son. That's what he's saying. I love him. And I'm with him to the end. And nobody's going to keep me from getting him to the end. We're going to finish this together. And that's what Timothy was doing and Paul was doing with Timothy here. We're going to finish this together. I'm with you, brother. I got my arm around you. And we're going to finish this together. There was no suck it up, you wimp here. Not with Paul and Timothy. Not with Derek Redmond and, and his dad. Be encouraged by thankfulness. Don't we all need that? Well, how can we respond to God's word this morning? Was there someone you know that's struggling right now? Maybe you'd be like Big Al's friends. They knew it. And they're discouraged. They're doubting. Well, they encourage them by thankfulness. Put courage in them by thanking God for them and letting them know that you're thankful to God for them. Do you need to have someone put courage in you? I want you to know. If you're here this morning and you need somebody to put courage in you, you're discouraged, I'm thankful to God for you. You were created in the image of God. And that gives you value. That gives you worth. I'm thankful to God for you. And some of you here this morning need to be encouraged to know just how much God loves you. He does. Although you've lived for your own glory and not his glory, which is sin. And that sin, as we heard earlier, deserves death. It deserves God's justice and deserves hell. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to take the penalty you deserved on the cross and to be buried and rise again and conquer sin and death and pay your death penalty for you that's how much God loves you. And I'm thankful to God for that, aren't you? That's our only hope in life and death. As usual here at the end of our time together, this morning we'll have people here on, up here, this side, down here on the floor, and on this side, if you need to talk with someone, to pray with someone, you've got questions, encourage you to take advantage of that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we, we, we thank you that you've given us this morning. We, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you, and I thank you for these people. And I thank you for the sincere faith that you have put in so many in this room. And Lord, I thank you that you promise, Lord, you will empower us on a daily basis by the Spirit that lives in us, by your spirit that lives in us, to honor you. And Lord, may we be those who thank you for everything and thank you for people and let people know that. And may that bring encouragement, put courage in people all around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd ask that you stand with me, and I just want to, you know, that this is a, a little...
longer than normal Sunday mornings, but I'm thankful it has been because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't end. And, and listen, hey, worship doesn't end when we leave here. It's just beginning in some ways. Just like Paul, he served the Lord. He worshiped the Lord with a clear conscience, just like his forefathers did. Serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. But I, so I just want to pray this prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 over you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.